This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Dr. Connor O'Gorham is a zoologist that's been working for the last 20 years for Basque, the British Association for Shooting and Conservation. And I wanted to have him specifically on because there is currently a petition by the Welsh government, well, not really a petition, a consultation by the Welsh government to consult people, not just Welsh people, people from the world, because you can comment, and that's what we need you to do at the end of this podcast, about the idea of permitting the release of pheasants and red-legged partridges in Wales for shooting, for hunting. And so I wanted to talk to Connor specifically about the reasoning behind the proposed permitting why the regulations are needed, the environmental impact of pheasants and red-legged partridges on the landscape, and then how can we help? How can the hunting community around the world help the Welsh hunting community? And as you will find out, it's very, very simple. Go onto their website, answer four questions, submit your name. You don't even have to put an email in and hit send. And your voice can be counted to champion hunting and be shoulder to shoulder with the Welsh hunting community to protect their rights, essentially, to shooting and hunting game birds that are released in Wales. So enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it, Brittany? My name. My name. Is... Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. 
And so what's the format? Is it like one one full interview that just that's it or do you Oh it's just a discussion, Connor. It's a discussion okay. of of <laughs> of an issue that um is playing out in in Wales, right? Yes. You're from Wales, Connor? Uh I live right on the border with Wales. So I live in Chester, which is uh northwest England, um and is a Roman city. It's a very ancient city. Um, and this used to be the westernmost part of the Roman Empire, and across really? the river, and across the river was is Wales, <laughs> more or less. So unbelievable. So you can imagine what it must have been like two thousand years ago, a conscript living in in, in 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 this area, you know, part of the Roman Empire, and beyond this border were were the badlands, you know, Wales and Ireland, and so forth. <laughs> so, so the Romans the, never conquered Wales and Ireland. No, no. So this, this the whole area here is steeped in history. So yeah, that's amazing. They just were too crazy to be conquered. Uh, I suppose oh, the, the infrastructure required to conquer nations was quite significant. So um, <laughs> they only made it as far as Chester. <laughs> made as far as Chester, and we we're like, that's it. We're not going any further. Yeah. So so yeah. So Wales, Wales is on the border here, and I spend a lot of my Fair time outdoors with my kids in in Wales, actually in North Wales, and uh, it's this beautiful, beautiful countryside there, beautiful landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, lots of hills, mountains, a lovely mountainy streams, and a great sure. place for the outdoors. Sure, sure, sure. Well, uh, Doctor Connor O'Graham, did I say O'Graham right, or is it O'Gram? Or uh, yeah, it's a tricky one. It's O'Gorman. O'Gorman. Sorry, I apologize, Doctor Connor O'Gorman. Thank you for. Uh, joining the Blood Origins podcast. Welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, introduce yourself, what you do, who you work for. Yeah, so, um, so I'm a zoologist by trade. Um, I worked for um, a hunting organization in the UK for 20 years. It's called the British Association for Shooting and Conservation. Uh, so over here in the UK, we call hunting shooting. Um, although I grew up in Ireland, we called it hunting. So it's quite confusing at times. <laughs> <laughs> but I think world, worldwide, you know, hunting is the term. So, um, but yeah, 20 years I work in, in a variety of um, conservation policy stroke roles uh, for uh, BASC. We abbreviated to BASC or BASC. Um, and over that time, um, dealing with lots of different um, attacks on, on hunting um, from various quarters across the UK and, and in Europe, mainland Europe as well. Uh, but also lots of positive stuff, lots of positive initiatives in terms of conservation work. So very much, um, so my, my area is very much jack of all trades. I dip in and out of different policy areas all the time. Uh, so lately it's been um, the, you probably heard about the hunting trophies bill over here. They're trying to, you know. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah, so it's so dealing with that. And then also dealing with this this latest issue, which is in Wales, uh, where there's proposals to effectively ban the releasing of pheasants and red lake partridges, um, except under license. So there are two two of the issues running at the moment. But lots of others, lots of other issues that keeps us busy. Um, yeah. But it's a glo- it's a global phenomenon. It's across every nearly every country where where there's a hunting tradition, there are there are attempts to undermine that tradition. So it's uh, it's not unique to anywhere well it's, it's an attempt to you know take away tradition and the roots of what sort of built society unfortunately and you guys just you live in the hotbed of like yes. we deal with some anti-hunters 
when you have people called calling themselves saboteurs, you've got a totally <laughs> different echelon of people who hate hunting. Yes, and, and the problem is that it's creeping into government policy. Um, and that's the issue we have in Wales particularly, where um, the Welsh government, um, Wales has its own, has its own government, um, uh, it, it's becoming more and more, the sentiment coming out of the government ministers is more and more anti, anti-hunting. Um, and indeed, one of the ministers just a few weeks ago said, um, ironically, in a debate about the benefits of hunting um, and conservation, um, that this minister said that uh, she thinks that killing anything for leisure um, was wrong and that we should change our behavior, um, you know, in terms of I'm just paraphrasing that, but that's more or less what she said. And um, so we as hunters have to change our behavior because we're doing something wrong, um, in effect. Um, and that's that's the government that will make a decision on proposals. So that's that's quite quite um, challenging. Connor, why do you think there is this creep into upper echelons of government? It's not like you've been in the policy game for twenty years with Basque. Why are we not? Let me ask this: Why are we as hunters not seeing creep from a, a positive hunting side in government? Is it? It's not just happening like with you know within the last six months. These guys have been. What, what what do you think? Um, it's it's a societal issue, I suppose, and it's not unique to the United Kingdom. It's um, politicians are people too, uh, you know, and uh, they they're influenced in, in terms of you know their their uh, childhood, their education with regard to um, the world as it is, and and I suppose hunting has been pushed more and more to the margins. Um, because people have disconnected with land, aren't they? They're disconnected with the reality of where meat comes from. So that 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 theme, and I suppose, and uh, when people are disconnected with where food comes from, there's a distaste, if you like, for uh, the idea that someone will go out there and actually kill something, mm-hmm. um, regardless of whether they eat it or not. Just the idea, and then in you know intertwined with that, the idea they might enjoy it, and misunderstanding around that. So I think that's. A running theme, isn't it, across across everywhere, um, and particularly in the UK, we're quite it's quite a an urban society. Um, people visit the countryside as park, um, but they don't live there. A lot of them that make these decisions that affect the countryside, and that's that's an issue as well. And that um, the the decision makers aren't necessarily people impacted by the decisions they make. And I remember it's many many years. I remember one of the national parks here. Um, I think the the authority made a decision that the decision makers had to live in the park because interesting. They on them. Yeah, interesting. So, um, and uh, I thought that was quite good. But, but yeah, I think uh, it's the same across other policy areas. You know, it's it's, uh, pop, uh, it's the popular vote as well. I think. Hmm. So I think the tablet over here, the the tabloid newspapers have quite a lot of power. Social media has a lot of power. And decisions, I think, are being swayed more and more by what seems to be the popular thing to do, rather than the evidence base or the science. So I think we've gone. But through let's a... be honest, you know, the idea of anti-hunting, the idea of veganism, the people that are really, really, really against us, is a minority voice. So how does right. how does it become popular? It's a very loud voice, um, and that's um, true. That's true. That's, you know, it's amplified, amplified by, I think, social media. I think we haven't helped as hunters, in, you know, with all nope, the pictures we share of, you know, of, of you know, the uh, 
uh, the kill, if you like, and, and that's not the whole story, but that's what people see. So that hasn't helped, I think. So, um, so yeah, I think it's 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 probably lots of different factors working together. But but I I think that we do every one of us is an ambassador of hunting. So right. uh, you know our families, uh, the friends we have, you know we normalize it by being normal people who happen to hunt. So I think that we forget that sometimes, and I think we forget that we can't just leave it to the hunting organizations to do all the, the heavy lifting. We and ourselves have to do that too, and introduce people to to hunting and, and fishing and so on. And um, and even if it's and that's something um, in my organization I work for BASC does a lot of is actually introducing children um, to uh, give them shooting experiences. Um, uh, where, and it might be the one and only time they ever do that. But it'll, it might last in their memory, and they won't see guns as a bad thing or hunting as a bad thing. But, um, they might never get involved. Who knows? They're the politicians of the future. That experience might pay pay dividends. So, uh, so I think it's uh, and that's something we do with the, with the politicians here as well. We take them, uh, we offer experiences uh, beyond across the various shooting disciplines mm-hmm. um, to to come out and experience that and meet people who um, you know who live who live and breed hunting. That passion always comes across, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to and so to to, to give politicians of that as well. Um, but but in terms of the, the the wheeling and the trading that goes on, you know, in terms of government bills and all the rest of it, unfortunately, once something gets momentum uh, in terms of a um, a ban or a restriction, it's quite challenging to to, to roll mm-hmm. that back. So mm-hmm. uh, so a lot of things that haven't happened, a lot of things that haven't happened in the UK are thanks to to Basque and the other organisations making sure that the education has been there with politicians, and civil servants. Right. So that so it doesn't reach the proposal stage. Once yep. it reaches the proposal stage, that's when you've almost lost the battle. Uh, yep. So so often it's quite tricky explaining that to uh, to our members. Is that uh, there's a lot of things we can't ever tell you, you know, in terms of what's been stopped. Um, and um, and here are the things. So it always seems like what's fighting, but actually it's not a proactive and positive work because our mind scenes to to do good work and to educate about the conservation benefits of hunting um, mm-hmm. and and the positive impact on people's lives, you know, socially, you know, people's livelihoods, um, but also just that connection with nature. I think that's some, I think there's a big theme there, um, you know, in terms of people disconnect with nature, that, that this is one of the avenues into the, the enjoyment of the countryside and the outdoors is to go fishing or to go hunting. Uh, it's not the only one, but it's, it's one of those avenues. That, uh, um, you know, I think for a lot of us, so like I'm, I'm, I'm 48, uh, for us of my age, you grew up with this, but for a lot of people coming into it, they haven't, and uh, they haven't had that privilege or that that, that chance. So um, it's, they're starting at the cold end of it, if you like. So mm-hmm. um, it's about giving you know giving people those opportunities as well to um, just to understand what we're all about, because we what we assume is normal might not necessarily be other people's reality of the world. You know? Right? Uh, Do you and, think and, though that we as a hunting community have we weren't ready for social media, or maybe a better question is we haven't changed in terms of what we do because I think, you know, let's think, think about it. Prior to social media, we probably shared, the only thing we shared amongst our hunting fraternity were all the trophy pictures, all the animals we shot. And in the advent of social media, we never changed. We never changed to showcasing all the great things, the relationships, the benefits, the consequences, the people involved. We just stuck with our narrative that worked for us for the last 30 years before social media. And now all of a sudden, that narrative is 
oh, you guys just kill a lot of stuff and you pose behind them and you smile because you enjoy killing them. Yeah, and I, as I, to I your really... point, it makes sense that that's the perception they have of us. Possibly. I haven't really thought about it uh, too much, but now that you asked the question, I think it's, there's, a, there's an aspect to that, but also um, negative sales on social media, doesn't it? Negative, not positive. So there are lots of positive stories out there. And uh, in um, like the umbrella body for hunting associations in Europe, um, the on face, um, they've done a lot of work in terms of you know positive stories, but often it doesn't gain any traction. Um, uh, the media don't want it. Uh, social media doesn't spread. It doesn't spread naturally. But also we're reserved. We're reserved that we don't want to tell people much about what we do. Often, um, it's just from a mod- it's a modest thing. It's a modesty. Thing. You know, mm. you hear great stories from people who've been doing great things for decades. And they didn't think that was a story worth telling, but actually it is. And so often yeah, 100%. Forget, you know, so I think there's that, that as well. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, it's just, um, it, it's, it's hard to know exactly where, 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 where that fits. Uh, but I certainly, what I've seen in, in, in my, my, my work, my world so far in terms of policy work that I do is there is, we don't stand up and be counted, you know, so these, these proposals come in. And we we asked the shooting community to get involved. You know, they might sign a petition. They might need to fill in a few tick boxes on a survey, or God forbid, you know, write a paragraph or two in the consultation response. People don't want to do it. People don't see the need for that. And what we're seeing now is uh, a reverse of fortunes. For years and years, it was about evidence and science, and that didn't work. Now it's back to a numbers game. So it's almost gone mm-hmm. back to front. And I think that's why. For example, with the uh, proposals in Wales to uh, to license the release of Presence of Red Lake Park, uh, we've launched a major campaign here called Act Now, uh, which is to try and get tens and thousands of, of, of people to get involved in these proposals um, and just say no to them. And it only takes a few seconds or a few minutes to do. Um, and, and indeed, anyone, anyone worldwide can fill in this survey, uh, which is like is on our website. Uh, you can access via our website. So it's it's uh, www.bas.org.uk forward slash act now or just search online BASC, uh, BASC, act now and you'll, you'll find the details there. Anyone worldwide can do that. Um, and maybe there's a team there. Maybe whatever is happening anywhere in the world where hunting is threatened, maybe we all need to rally. Oh, 100%. 100%. Um, and, you know, so maybe that's and something. And that... we're seeing more and more and more of that, um, mm-hmm. which is great to see. So, uh, Connor, one of the reasons we, the reason, while we're talking, is the Welsh game bird release permitting issue. Mm-hmm. Um, we came across it, um, I came across some information that Basque put out, which is phenomenal. And then we obviously do a lot of, uh, we, we, we highlight issues that are hunting related around the world and we create videos around it and, and sort of stir up people to action that's it's almost sort of our, our we've become known for it like okay here's an issue explain it to us in the most <laughs> layman terms possible give us the reason why we should be opposed to it or we should be okay with it or whatnot <laughs> and then go do um <laughs> and the welsh game bird release the pheasants and red-legged partridge release uh permitting is one where you just have to scratch your head and you're just like What's going on? So let's just break it down because this podcast is going to go with those videos. People are going to be able to get the information. Let's start at the beginning, Connor. Like, how did this come to be? Like, you know, why did someone bring this forward? 
So we've had an anti-hunting sentiment in the Welsh government for many years now, um, and it's grown and grown. And often what happens in these cases is they look for the lowest hanging fruit um, and the releasing of pheasants and red leg partridges is something I think that they've um, they've arrived at because it's 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 just the thin end of the wedge. So if they get the power to, and this is this is actually a human rights issue, um, if they get the power to take away my right as a, a landowner or to release the pheasants or red leg partridges I want to release to to hunt later on my land, they take that that right away. License to me taking away my rights so um that from a civil service perspective or a government perspective is a power grab and mm. that's how they that's how they see it um so there has been a few years ago there was like a call for evidence and there were like general um you know uh surveys and consultations about um the possible impacts of um the environmental impacts of releasing peasants and red lake partridges um and that was non-conclusive. Um, you know, it's generally a positive thing. It has a positive conservation benefit because when you're releasing these birds, you have to provide habitats for them. Otherwise, they won't be on your land anymore. Then you won't be able to hunt them. So it's 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 it's, it's a synergetic thing. It's it's interrelated. Uh, but no, they couldn't find any evidence to say it's a bad thing. And lots of evidence says it. They plowed on with these proposals anyway. So breaking it absolutely down, what they're saying is that. Um, they think this is quite reasonable. Um, all we're asking is that um, we put in place a licensing system um, whereby uh, you have to follow some terms and conditions to release a pheasant or a red leg partridge on your land. And if you live in certain, if your land is in certain areas near protected sites, as, as we call them, um, then you might need to apply for a specific license. Um, and they make it sound reasonable, but it's not because once they take away that that freedom. For you to manage the land as you see fit, which we've done for generations, hundreds of years, and you know across Wales, they take away that right. They they then choose whether to give you that right back or not. That's that's a fundamental issue. Um, so, and what is the basis? Is the basis environmental impact that they're bringing forward? Is that like the fundamental? Like this is reason why we're licensing it. Yeah. So they're relying on they're relying on on various laws to do with biodiversity uh, conservation duties that the government, the Welsh government, has. And they're trying to rely on, on that for the first time to say, we think there could be an issue. And therefore, the precautionary approach is to stop the issue we think might be happening, rather than actually evidencing it. Um, and what we have in, 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 in Wales and the rest of the United Kingdom is uh, standards, you know, best practice standards for game bird releasing, uh, conservation for hunting. We self-regulate. And we've done that for eons, for generations. Um, and I think it's... There's a, there's a vein to this of governments wanting to babysit or nanny us um, and tell us what we can do based on their uh, their moral judgment, their ethic, their just want, their need to control citizens. So I think that's part of it. Because it's and it's not happening just with um, with hunting; it's across other things as well. Um, you know, we've got a there's been, there's been issues um, I think about um, the smacking your children laws, so bringing in laws. To, smack a child and discipline children. Mm. So that's mm. going on as well. There's lots of different uh, policy areas where this this wish to control is coming in uh, and take away um, the the you know we all everyone wants to do the right thing. Most people want to do the right thing, uh, and but it's, it's actually 
dictate to everybody where well, you're going to do it this way. We're not going to allow you any guys to do the right thing or have common sense. You know, it's but like... it makes. But to your point of us doing the right thing, I read somewhere that I get it. Right? If let's just logically look at it, if you were going to release um, pheasants and red-legged partridges, which are non-endemic species to Wales into sensitive environments, protected sites, it makes sense, right? Like, hey, you should be, you should watch out. You know, there may be some ecological, some sensitive ecological impacts, but don't you, don't you have frameworks already that you have to work your way through on those sensitive sites already? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so sensitive sites, there's, there's like different scales of them. There, there are regional importance, national importance and European importance. And absolutely, there are, uh, permitting there's already a permitting scheme in place so you, you do what did you just say the there's already uh, permitting schemes in place yes so for for certain like for to, to go shooting to go hunting that uh, you know you you may need permission for that and you may you need some some form of permit for that and some form of permit for releasing um uh birds just like with farming or grazing yeah. or anything so in the in the sensitive areas that, that there's a the framework and enforcement around all of that anyway um, but what's happening here is it's not it's it's actually widening out a licensing system across the whole of Wales. Um, but I think the fundamental thing everybody um, cares about the land that they manage or own. No, no one, very few people out there are going to be you know putting out too many birds that the land can't handle and it causes obvious ecological issues. You know, and we don't need to be a scientist to understand uh, when you know your land, you know the the fauna and floor you've got, then if you're doing something wrong and it changes, you know that. Why? No, you know that. So mm-hmm. really the government mm-hmm. body to tell you uh, or to put in a system that's one size fits all, that we all then have to be buried in red tape and fill in forms and all the rest of it. And, and you know, it's, it's this, and then reporting every year on what we've done to micromanagement of people and, and, and people whose, you know, in many cases, whose livelihoods depend on um, game shooting. Um, but also the social side of it as well. And in Wales, Wales is quite a rural part of the United Kingdom, and, and there are many areas where um, you know is is quite um, remote. Um, and often it's these uh, these shooting days that are provided by the redneck partridges that bring people together across the community um, uh, to to meet each other, practice the Welsh language as well. There's that aspect too that we're covering in the campaign. Um, that you know the, the, these are opportunities to. Um, to speak Welsh or to hear Welsh, you know, in these in these very uh, rural areas where shoot shoot days happen, um, and there's an irony there: the Welsh government has a duty to protect the Welsh language, but here are proposals that could undermine the use of the Welsh language as a living language. So that's <laughs> that's an interesting angle. Connor, one of the angles that oh, I sort of I deep dived into is, I'm like you, I'm not a zoologist. Uh, I got a BSc in environmental conservation biology that had zoology as a major, um, but I'm a restoration ecologist by training, PhD in restoration ecology, worked in the restoration ecology field for the last 15, 16 years. I, I go to the practical. I'm a pragmatist when it comes to management. I'm a pragmatist when it comes to wildlife management. And so the idea of this release, and this is where, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, and I, I'm not going to be able to, you may have the, the percentages at your fingertips, um, but I went down a rabbit hole on, I said, okay, 
if if the the basis of regulation is environmental impact of a non-endemic species, okay, what is their impact? Okay. okay, it would be foraging, it would be scratching, it would be you know things that they do is the impact. So then I'm like, okay, how long? Are those birds on the landscape? Practically. And I, in my brain, was like, well, they're putting on, being put on the landscape, number one, to be shot. Okay, they're not being put on the landscape for aesthetic reasons. Two, yes, you're going to have some escapes. Three, you're going to have predation on those escapes. Four, they you know, what is the percentage that actually make it to then reproduce on the landscape? And it's okay, not so we could... less than 3% or less than 1%. So we can drill into that if you like. If you, if you like. So, um, oh, you know, it's... I like to. Two scientists <laughs> about to drill into some data. Come on now. I know I'm a pragmatist, actually. I, I might have done. But I tell you, I learned everything about nature through gamekeeping and hundred percent. Uh, so you know, uh, but uh, but yeah, science does count, and and, and percentages do matter um, when you come it comes to arguments like. That. But I think that um, firstly, you know, we talk about endemic and non-endemic species, and you'd want to be really uh, academic about it. Pheasants have been around for over a thousand years since Roman times, even. In, in the UK. That's Good the point. first thing. They've been there. However, they don't really breed. They don't breed very successfully on, on their own without a lot of help. Um, and same with red leg partridges. So when you release these birds, they're not likely to reproduce and get out of control. And I think so we often talk about non-endemic species being released. There's a danger that they, they all start breeding like gray squirrels, breeding like wildfire and cause all sorts of issues. So it's not, so they're benign in that sense, I think, that they're, they're there. Um, but there is, uh, and uh, BASC uh, has, done, has commissioned some research into this to look at, objectively look at some of these impacts uh, that could happen. And yeah, absolutely, if you release too many, if you, if you got release pens in woodlands where you, you have the birds um, at a, a younger age before you release them, if you've got too many birds in, in the woodlands, they are going to um, cause damage to the local flora and uh, that's going to be very obvious so mm -hmm. there are uh, there are uh, guidelines in place that um, that shoots um, should follow uh, to avoid that happening um, and you know that can help in terms of when you're you know when you're ordering in in birds and you, you know how much woodland you've got and how much land you've got to shoot over um, that can help as a steer if you like to make sure that um, you're not going to go too far if you like in terms of any any unwanted damage because no one wants that um, uh, but yeah, if there is bad practice, um, then yes, it can have an ecological impact, a temporary one on the woodland, because uh, there's too many birds, um, and that causes some temporary damage. That's more that's that's more important because it's a sensitive site um, that might not recover. Um, so those guidelines are in place, and the enforcement regime is already in place for sensitive areas. Uh, but I think yeah, we should be we need to be objective about this. That you do you you overdo anything causes problems. So there is a there's a balance to be struck, and and generally, you know, for uh, 
shoots small and large across the country, um, they do it excellent. And there is, but there is a, a misconception out there, even within the shooting community, that big commercial shoots must, by default, be doing an environmental, uh, environmentally bad job. Actually, it's the opposite because they've got the infrastructure and and the game, full time gamekeepers, teams of keepers, loads of uh, resources to you know manage habitats. They often do a really, really excellent job in terms of conservation. Yeah, they've got the, the resources and the scale to do that. So when people say, oh, tens of thousands of birds were released in this estate, what people forget is that estate is tens of thousands of hectares big and with loads of, lots of good habitat, lots of environmental schemes, you know, tied in with the farming practices, all embedded in. Um, and then you've got your small shoots um, where people think, well, that must be fine. But actually, it's no different at scale. If you were to release too many birds, and you're not putting anything in, but okay, well, I've got no habitat going on. That could actually be damaging. So yep. I think it's about the local scale, and um, I think it's about you know the people who are involved in the shoots, making sure that they, they're doing it right, and there's guidelines there to help with that, which the, uh, there's an organization called the um, Cayman Wildlife Conservation Trust, who have done amazing research over, over decades um, that we pay for. We as the shooting community pay for this research. Done. So we're, we're leading the way in terms of the conservation work, the research, uh, we want to do the right thing. And it's very annoying and very frustrating then when civil service um, or elected government ministers poo-poo all of that and actually just think that we're just out there to do the wrong thing mm-hmm. and that we need to be managed like school children. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so I think so there's, do there's... You, in your brain, do you have the percentages of... I could look up the, the, the articles quickly, but... What is the cho- what is the percentages of survival? It's very very low. I saw a, I saw a pretty outstanding statistic that actually blew my mind because my rationale in my brain was if these birds are being put out for shooting specifically, you I would have thought that the percentage of take was going to be in the 70, 80, 90 percent, but it's it's almost like in the 60 percent. 40 percent typically do not get shot. It, it it varies from place to place, and uh, again, um, this, I'm putting the scientists in me to one side because it's actually it varies from place to place, and uh, it, it all depends on how you manage the land, and you lose mm. a lot of a lot of birds will wander if you don't manage the woods you've got and cover the cover crops you've got properly, um, not properly, but if you don't manage them to keep birds on your land, and of course your landowner might have to get birds for free, and and, and it does give you around a little bit. Um, but in terms of um, annual mortality, it depends on the season as well. It depends on how hard you know, um, how hard the winter's been or whatever. Um, in terms of the feeding regimes you've got in place, so that will vary as well. It depends on fox numbers. Um, it'll depend on you know uh, lots of different factors. Roads. You see the thing in, in the United Kingdom. There's there's a huge there's roads everywhere. It's not we don't have like a wilderness. Uh, so mm. of course, getting them roads as well. Um, that's and there's ever more roads every year, so that 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 plays into it as well. So yeah, so I think it's it's not so it's so yeah, birds are released and some birds are shot. Um and some of those birds are predated and some birds wander. Um I think that's that's the you know, what you want to do as a shoot manager, obviously, if you um if you're trying to like at a voluntary at a voluntary scale, um, you know, if it's a, a syndicate where everyone just pays in um a few hundred pounds or a thousand pounds each. Um, and you're buying in birds, you've got the, the food costs, feed costs, you've got the, the bird costs, you've got to um, pay for cover crops. You want to make you want to make at least break even. 
though you do have to consider the losses in terms of that. In terms sure, of, sure, sure, sure. Um, um, in terms of having enough birds to make, um, to make you know, get a few good shooting days out. Everyone gets a chance mm-hmm. to shoot a few pheasants mm-hmm. or a few red leg partridge. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so. the, the, the science that I saw, though, back to the sort of regulation and the reason for regulation, science I saw, and I think there were multiple studies that sort of came to the same conclusion, was that there was a very, very small percentage, and I can't remember if it was less than 1% or less than 3%, but it was in that range of birds that actually make it through to the next reproductive cycle. So in terms of longevity of impacts, it's almost negligible. Yeah, there'll be some. There'll always be uh, some birds that make it next year, and some birds do breed. Um, I mean, vessels, for example, are, are you know um, a bird of swamps, if you like, you know, and uh, and there are plenty of swampy places around it. You get a good summer, really, a, a really good summer where um, the temperature is really, really high at the right time for the chicks, and the chicks happen to be um, uh, hatched out in an area with high insect density for their particular needs. And they'll, the the defences will pull off a few uh, a few broods, um, and they'll do really well. So uh, you'll get you'll get areas where there are wild defence populations, and they do carry over, um, and that's great. Uh, but yeah, the vast majority of um, of the birds, whether it's red leg partridge or pheasants, um, they uh, they're there, you know, as a, they're there for hunting and just mm-hmm. conservation what goes in. Any more than with farming, there's there's sheep put out in the land, whether it's lambs or sheep or cattle um, and so forth so it's it's um i think our social construct around the thing as well you know that, um about this has to be there and this has to be over here and we've got solar farms we've got you know farms with sure, sure, of, sure. um metal infrastructure that are strawberries or whatever that copies you know that needs to be managed so um and you know we as hunters we manage pheasants and red partners and great partners mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well connor if someone's listened to this they're like man Sounds like a rough deal that uh, the Welsh government is handing down. What can they do? How can they help Bask? Where can they go? So they can go on to our website, um, which you'll share the details with through the through the, the podcast with this bask.org.uk forward slash act now. And that'll give you the information about what it's all about. But essentially, there's an online survey. Um, it's only 12 questions. And all you have to do is answer no to four of those questions. You just put in your name. You don't even need your email address. Put in your name. Um, and you, where, where the questions are asked, you just say no. Don't worry about the detail of the questions. They're leading questions. But we explain all of that in our, in our overview. It's very simple. Uh, just you know, make a stand. Help, you know, help the fight in Wales. Anywhere you live, wherever you live in the world, you can actually do this. Um, and it's quite important because the Welsh government has made decisions previously based on surveys like this where anyone in the world could take part. But here we're yep. turning it on its head and we're saying, right, come on then. Everyone who, everyone who hunts anywhere in the, in the world can do this because it's, it's on the government website. It's going to be used in the results. And let's, let's, give them, let's give them a show here. Let's show them that there's a solidarity out there and that what they're doing is fundamentally wrong. And actually, we're forced to be reckoned with. And we're not going to just meekly um, pass away, you know, mm-hmm. um, because what's, what will be expected Although I think they've got the message now from the campaign so far, what was expected before they launched this was uh, maybe a few hundred responses from the shooting community and thousands or tens of thousands from the antis. People rallied to just say yes to the ban, 
Um, and there are campaigns starting uh, recently to say yes to the ban. We're saying no to them. So what we're asking people is go on our website, follow the links, go onto this survey webpage, put in your name, answer a few questions, no, job done. And that's, that's all you need. And all you get at the end of when you finish the survey, um, if you don't put your email address in, you'll just get an ID code on, on the webpage at the end of the survey. If you do put your email address in, you'll get an email that will confirmation of that you've completed the survey. And those few minutes, and literally like two minutes of your time, you know, time well spent to help shooting in Wales. And Wales is a you know, worldwide destination for hunting and fishing. So um, there'll be lots of people out there, lots of listeners who, who've been to Wales, you know, for that very fact. So you, you are really important um, because you can add extra details. Um, about your experience in Wales and, mm-hmm. and how your travesty to um, to undermine game shooting in Wales because we're not exaggerating here when we say this could just shut down game shooting in Wales mm-hmm. could just make it unviable um, because what the Welsh government we think will do as for as long as this particular um, anti-sentiment exists once they get the power to issue these licences they won't issue any licences or they'll make it so hard that uh, it won't be, you know, it just won't be viable for the likes of me and other people who are just, you know, doing small scale hunting um, to actually spend, you know, hours filling in forms and all the rest of it. And uh, mm-hmm. but actually, they might just take the right away um, by not giving it back. Mm-hmm. So it's no, it's you're hundred percent, hundred percent, Connor. Well, we're going to do our part, and we've got a big community around the world that I know will fill in their information. I've already done it. Um, add a little bit more than just no uh, based on the feedback on the Basque website, which is great. It tells you exactly what each question means and how you should respond. And uh, I followed <laughs> those guidelines. Um, so, yeah. Like what um, I'd say is that, you know, what I'd say is that for, you know, for people who've never done it like before, it does feel a bit, ah, oh, I don't want to do this. You know, you literally only have to say no to a few questions. And I know some people might say, well, I don't want to just say no. That's not going to be taken into account. Actually, it is. That's one vote. Um, but if you can put in more details, uh, like you have, uh, Robbery, it would be brilliant, you know, that, you know, within that extra context, that, you know, that experience as a hunter, as a conservationist, that'd be, that'd be really good too. And especially if you've been a, if you've uh, been a tourist in, in Wales, you know, visited Wales to go hunting or fishing, that'd be even stronger. And I can mm-hmm. say that, you know, you're taking away from livelihoods. You're going to, jobs are going to be lost over this. Um, but also the landscape, you know, what shape the landscape is going to be taking, you know, all that conservation work all those rare species protected by shooting. And on our website, as, as, you, as you mentioned, we've got lots of um, information around that if you want to draw on that. Um, but ultimately, a numbers game. Um, yep. And, yep. and ultimately, and you know, the, this, you know, the shooting community can be cynical, can't they? The community. They said, oh, well, they'll make it anyway. Well, they might. But at least it gives us a fighting chance if we've got a majority no vote. And we say to them, so now you're ignoring it this time. The last time you said... You had the, you know, you had the majority for the decision you wanted. Now you're saying no. We can use that. That gives us a fighting chance. So even if they turn the tables and change the goalposts, at least having that massive response is a good start, and it builds momentum for other things, other campaigns as well. So if you help Wales, we'll help you. Kind of, you know, mm-hmm. so hundred uh, percent. And build when is there. the consultation close? Twentieth uh, of June. Twentieth of June. Twentieth of June. So get your time. stuff in before the twentieth of June, uh, Connor. Thank you so much. Um, much appreciate you. Um, and anything else that we can do to help you guys, please don't don't hesitate to to reach out. And if there's anything else that pops up on your radar and you're like, hey, I, we need to do another podcast or we need to be aware of it so we can create some videos and create some content, just please let us know. We're here to help. 
Yeah, it's brilliant. It's a really appreciate it. You're we all do. Every, everyone in Wales appreciates this. You know, to give this <laughs> audience like this, that's that's brilliant. Nah, it's all, it's all, it's the, it's the least we can do. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening. As always, leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.